Welcome to Dave and Dom Demystify, a fintech futures podcast, helping make sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Please sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and discuss it to make it clearer and easier to understand. Welcome to today's podcast. And today we have an incredibly special guest from Lithuania. We have Vida, who's the, the Vice Minister of Finance. So, Vida, I'm afraid I can't pronounce your surname. I won't even try and embarrass myself by doing it. But welcome to the podcast. We're delighted to have you. So could you just give us a brief introduction to yourself and talk a bit about what you do, but also maybe just give us a brief introduction to Lithuania as well? It's a big pleasure for me to talk to you and uh... I hope our listeners will enjoy the conversation. So I'm Vaida Markavicina. That's that difficult uh, surname that uh, that you are not uh, not pronouncing. <laughs> go on, Darmish. I dare you. Give it a go. <laughs> I'm so sorry. We're just. It makes me embarrassed to be British, but there we go. <laughs> But it's fine if you ever want to have a language exercise before you start the podcast, free <laughs> to use that as, a, as an exercise. I'm the Vice Minister of Finance at the Republic of Lithuania. And in my portfolio, I have the two main files. So one is investments. So basically, as the Vice Minister of Finance, I oversee the, we call it progress investment portfolio. So it means all the investments that go not into like salaries or this kind of running costs, but into a change. These fall under our progress investment portfolio. And the other file is financial markets policy. And it's a very broad profile. And I think what we have a bit different from maybe uh, other countries that have a financial markets uh, file that everyone has to have because everyone has financial sector have specific topics which is fintech and green finance that have a separate place in the agenda fantastic and just i guess many of our listeners will have obviously heard of lithuania or a baltic state but perhaps you could just give us a a bit of a background and small piece of history of lithuania as well i think it's a very interesting country which sort of seems to stand at the crossroads of many things. So I was very fortunate to visit fairly recently and I, where, where I met you. And I was just super interested in the kind of history of Lithuania, which I think is important when you kind of then reflect on its position in the world now. Of course, I don't want to be too basic, but I think just to kind of eliminate all the questions. So Lithuania is, you know, we are a member of the European Union be a member of NATO, that these things I think are important to mention in the current uh, geopolitical situation. When we talk about economics and how we developed, so Lithuania broke up of Soviet Union and in the last years we made a really huge progress. So I won't count from the time when we broke from the Soviet Union, but when we look like around 20 years from now, we hardly reach 40% of the EU average when it comes to our GDP. Currently, we almost reached the average. So the growth was very rapid. We made a very rapid progress. And of course, it's due to people, our hardworking talents, our hardworking population. And I would say also the policy of the state that is open to innovation, open to change. And when we talk about our digital policy, I would say we are 
really open to that change. And we have good examples that show that we want to advance very fast. So, and I mean, in terms of the digital policy, one of the areas, and you've already mentioned it, is fintech. So I was kind of keen to understand, like, what, from a sort of structural point of view, how Lithuania has embraced the fintech community. I mean, when I visited, you kind of got a real sense that there was an awful lot going on. But I know there's a plan which sort of sits behind that. So could you just sort of explain yeah. about the plan and how the fintech opportunity that the Lithuanian government can kind of see and that the people of Lithuania can see? So I can start a bit from the back. In 2016, we had the fintechs that you could count on your hands, on your fingers, really had a few companies. And the idea to become more open to financial technology, it came from the need in the society because of our financial market structure. So we had a very concentrated financial markets. We had a few banks that dominated the market. And what we saw that we lacked credit, we lacked innovation, not the sort of innovation that would, would be on the edge, but even adapting new things that are there in the market. So the idea was to promote fintech that would steer the competition. And the initial idea came from the top, from institutions. But when we arrived at current stage, so today we are the number one fintech hub in Europe. If we count the number of uh, e-money institutions, payment institutions, we have the largest number in all the EU. Not per capita, not not anyhow, but we already have... Which the, is the largest, largest actual number. Yeah, the largest actual number. Also, wow. when, we, yeah, when we talk about transactions, financial transactions that are made, so from Lithuania, Lithuania is around 3 million people, inhabitants, population. We serve more than 25 million customers from Lithuania. So wow. if you look at the population of the EU, it's close to kind of every 10 adult citizen of the EU is possibly served from Lithuania. So we already have a lot of these companies and they're very active internationally. So this means that when we have to draw a new strategy for the sector, we can't do it without the sector. Because now the situation is very different from what it was in, in 2016. So this year we presented the new fintech strategy for Lithuania for the coming five years. And we developed that uh, strategy together with the market and with the institutions. Because the environment is just so much different. And now we have a very strong ecosystem that, of course, is having a say of how they see uh, the sector. And now we can't know it all. We didn't know it then, but there was little to talk to. Now we have a lot of know-how and expertise in the sector. So actually when we drafted those guidelines, we had a working group with around 80, 80 experts. So of course it wasn't an easy exercise. It was also, a, I would say even lengthy exercise, but it was important to go all that way because now we have a strategy with very specific KPIs very specific actions that we intend to take to reach those goals. And we have timeline and institutions or entities assigned to do these tasks. And why it's important to have market on board, because in order for us to develop even further in fintech, also the market has to take some of the responsibilities. So of course they have to be on board. So when we drafted that strategy together with the market, it's a joint effort product, 
We also signed a memorandum of understanding between eight institutions and market associations to commit to implement it. So it's really a joint effort, not only for the drafting, but also for the delivering. So we all have to do our part. Sounds amazing what you've managed to achieve, especially in the payment space. What do you attribute to your success? I mean, given that, A, you've got a fairly small population, B, you started fairly late. In 2016, we were already beginning our open banking stuff, and we had fintechs well before that. So, So what was the key to your success, do you think? I think a lot of elements fell into place. So what we had, I would say, forward-looking regulation. We had a central bank that made this newcomer program and was welcoming and was easy to approach and to talk to and to to check if, uh, you know, Lithuania is the right country to, to work from. We had IT infrastructure, like payments infrastructure. So basically, e-money institutions and payment institutions could join the SEPA single European payments area through the central bank. So we need, didn't need to find an intermediary like a, a bank or something. They could go directly to our central bank and become part of single European payment area. And that infrastructure is still very relevant. And that is sad to say, but we also benefited from when UK left the EU. <laughs> I personally find very upsetting, but those fintechs that, as you said, you had long before we even started thinking about it, they had to get licensed in the EU. And then I would say rather few companies moved to Lithuania. Right, right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Did that include Revolut as well? You got a bank, did they get a banking license? Yeah, that as well. We have license in Lithuania. That's why we also have such huge numbers. So Lirvonut is now licensed in, in Lithuania and then we serve customers throughout Europe. That's why we have such large numbers. But also we have other fintechs that are thinking of expansion. So I would guess that, that these numbers would still grow even more, the customers that we serve from Lithuania. And of course, I, I would say that what is important for companies to come is also the people and the talent. And we really have a lot of IT talent and generally our population is, I would say, very educated. Like when we look at the numbers of people who have higher education, we rank very high and a lot of people speak more than one language, which is also a benefit for international business. So of course they maybe are attracted by the buzz, but they come for the reason. And I would say this is also one of the reasons they they come. And we try to work on that further, even in our guidelines, one of the ideas is to be the center of excellence. And we already have programs with uh, universities and other educational institutions that help to train people to have the skills for new digital economy. Uh, but we also survey companies and we launch a quick certification course, for example, if, if they say that they really need some skill. For example, because of the war in Ukraine, we have unprecedented sanctions regime. So all financial institutions need to strengthen their efforts in ML compliance. So we launched a course together with our ML center of competence that I can share more later with one of the universities, Nicholas Rowanis University and the Ministry of Finance. So we did the certification course. It's an intensive course. Uh, it takes half a year. People have to take an exam afterwards. They get the formal certification. 
that they have like the basic skills to do the work. And we launched it last year. We already have additional 200 specialists in that area. So, you know, we try to reflect the needs uh, of the market and kind of raising people from school with uh, focus on STEAM uh, competences is one thing. It takes a long time, but we are going that direction. There is no other way for us. We can't not do it. But what we try to do is also to partner with business, with universities, and ensure that we can meet also the short-term demands. So when I visited, I made this observation to you previously, but it was interesting to see how the proximity of the politicians and the businesses. So, you know, we met in a fintech hub. Everybody seemed to know you. I was sort of reflecting on, I wanted to go and meet the per the minister here in charge of our fintech plan. I don't even know if, if we have a fintech plan, but I wouldn't know who to go to, you know, and actually if I wanted to go and meet them, it would probably involve a series of uh, appointments and things like that before I could actually get to meet them. But it was interesting how that proximity sort of, it felt that there was an ongoing exchange and you talk about like how you've involved business and it's interesting how you're involving the education establishment but that sort of real sense of proximity I think seems such a positive because it meant that you I guess you are able to listen to businesses and you kind of talked about that but also businesses are able to listen to you as well because obviously there is a always going to become a political kind of agenda so I think that from what I could see seemed to be a real sort of part of the success of what you've got. I would think so. And that's what when we discuss and there is like a question, like what would if some other country would say now, I'm the kind of fintech hotspot of Europe, what would, will you do? You know how you are different. And my answer to that is that it's uh, this ecosystem that we have, it didn't happen in a day. And it's a constant effort. I would even say it's, you know, like a relationship. You always have to invest your time and effort into that because you have to trust each other. Like if you want to not only talk to each other, but hear each other and understand each other. You have to have this level of trust to be open and straightforward in your arguments. So it takes constant effort. And uh, when we were drafting, for example, the strategy, it was a lengthy process, but it also helped to bring all the ecosystem closer together because we really had a lot of heated discussions and uh, being able to, to talk to each other. And now we all know everyone I would see in the ecosystem. And uh, it's really like I would say in every institution, you would know who is the contact person when it comes to fintech. But it doesn't mean that we all share the same views. Yeah, I think in the UK, we have like Ron Khalifa, who initiated a lot of the research and work behind fintech as an industry with his background of selling probably the largest fintech in, in the UK, which was WorldPay at the time. But then, you know, we had Charlotte Crosswell who led the open banking work, et cetera. And then even the prime minister gets involved, right? Not only talking about fintech, but his recent kind of commitment to spend not really a significant, but not insignificant amount of money either on AI. And, and I wondered also, you know, is AI a separate stream? Is it part of your remit? Basically, we have the Innovation Agency, that is a separate agency under the Ministry of Economy and Innovation. And they are helping business to develop, grow, and innovate. And they have few areas that they focus on. And IPC is one of their focus areas, and part of it is fintech. 
And of course, in the current days, AI is the topic. It was also like not only with explosion of ChatGPT that everyone in the street is talking about artificial intelligence, but like a couple of years ago, it all started and uh, we also give funds. This innovation agency gives public funds for companies to encourage them to innovate, to explore these technologies. And we understand that innovation is risky and, uh, you know, if it works well, then, of course, the company can succeed, can get competitive advantage, can become better, faster, and, and so on. But if they don't, then it's a lost cost. So we want to encourage companies to explore and innovate, and we are ready to take part of the risk. So, yes, AI is, is also the topic, among other technologies, and we also have it in as part of our strategy, because one of our aims is to help companies that are operating in Lithuania to grow and expand and export. That's why we have to become stronger and faster and more innovative. So there are different ways to encourage them to do that. I was really keen to talk about the green plan as well, because for me, it was really interesting to kind of hear about that when we spoke. But I guess there's one question around fintech, which so when you as a country are looking at it, I guess you're looking at it at a national level, but also I'm guessing, again, you said like with the, the millions of customers you've got across sort of other geographies, are you looking at the opportunity European-wide as well? So when you're sort of like thinking about where do we put investments and when you're putting your plans together, right, is it about like the European opportunity for you as a kind of country? Hmm. So, of course, we are part of the EU and I would say especially in this uh, geopolitical environment, we are very active member with a strong uh, political agenda in, in some of the areas. When it comes to fintech, of course, there are a lot of things that uh, are regulated on the EU level. So we also try to become more like a, a bridge and to influence the EU politics already when we are made, because once they are done, if we say to our companies, it's a little too late to see if they fit the needs of the business or not. So we are working on that and we seek to always involve the market in Lithuania in that process. And maybe another aspect that uh, is worth uh, mentioning is AMLA. You know that in the EU there is a new rules about IML regime and there will be a new institution of money laundering and we are trying our best to bring this uh, institution into Vilnius. So you, you, you visited us. Uh, I probably don't have to tell you the reasons why Vilnius is a great place for anyone from Europe to work in. No, no, fantastic. So anyway, in terms of the green plan, because I mean, that, that seems to be a, a major part of your portfolio as well. Can you talk a bit about the high level plan? And then it would be interesting then to talk about where the green plan and things like fintech connect as well, because there's some interesting businesses that I met whilst mm. I was in Lithuania. So, Yeah, so I can start from that. We are committed to become a net zero economy by 2050, and it is a long way to get there. And it's not so easy. It will require to change things, to do things differently and to, to change for everyone, for businesses, for individuals, for state. So I would say everyone will have to become part of that transition in order to be successful. And to plan something that massive, of course, you have to assign funds. And me coming from the Ministry of Finance, we saw how what is the need of the economy as a whole to, to transform. And even though we put significant public 
funds to achieve that, there is still a big gap. So what we thought we have, what we need to do to bridge this gap, we need to bring the private funds as well to green the economy. And it's maybe easy to say, but it's very not easy to do. And there are a lot of questions, but it means to bring the private funding into greening the economy because it all starts with what does it mean to green the economy. And here the green finance action plan comes into play and it has several cornerstones. So first is we have to be clear what we call green and what we call greening. So their task is to work with the market to on labeling and database. So we need to have information and we need to see what sort of impact the investments are making. And we want to avoid sort of greenwashing because then immediately the investors will lose trust, the society will lose trust. Another aspect is that today, of course, all the companies are able to get the financing without being able to prove that they are not harming the economy or that their projects, you know, are, are greening the economy. So, of course, it's a very normal question from investors. CSG, you know, it's, I would say, such a normal question nowadays as financial standing, but it's still not probably included in, in the price, but eventually it may be. And then large corporates will have probably more resources to prove what color they are or what color their projects are. But for SMEs, it may be burdensome. So we have to prepare now and we have to include this into their reporting and everyone has to understand the logic. So we are building this open database. Those who finance the projects could access it. Uh, the companies can access it. Academia could access it. And we would know, make more informed decisions, all of us, the policymakers, the investors and the companies. Another aspect is that there are a lot of things that are not clear. So we need to have this knowledge hub. So we established just in September Green Finance Institute that kind of connects the market with the public sector. And they would do research. They will do the advisory role with the goal to kind of have more green financial instruments in the market because it means that they have to create the supply, but also the demand. So we also want the society, the investors to understand and to trust green products. So in that uh, action plan, we have goals for attraction of uh, private investment, but also the state uh, has a role to play because if we look at the, for example, public procurement, we spend around 10% of our GDP in public procurement. So what we did, we said that, you know, actually this year is the breaking year. So this year we reached 100% of public procurement in Lithuania Green. Uh, wow. If we look three years ago, I think it didn't reach 10%. By every year spending 10% of GDP uh, by green procurement, we also, from a kind of state as a customer, forms then the market and, and the expectations. And we are also, and of course, public procurement is just part of the budget. So we also have a plan in the coming, in two years to have a, a budget marked by the green criteria so we would know how green our state budget is, because also state is a very active member of the capital market. We are, you know, our treasury is issuing bonds and we were one of the, in top 10 globally countries when we issued green bonds because we had renovation projects. So these are clearly green projects. So then it, we issued them a couple of years ago. And at that time we were among the 10 countries in the world, the first ones to do that. But in order to continue that, we need to have more knowledge about the rest, the rest of our budget. This was just one of the kind of part of the portfolio that was more or less clear. So this is also part of the green finance action plan. And 
of course, as in many actually of our plans and initiatives, we have financial literacy and education of the society because in order to, as I said, to get there, we have to all get there and everyone has to understand it. So building this understanding in the society about why it matters, how to assess it, why it's important and what it is even in general, we also have that aspect in our Green Finance Action Plan. It's incredible how comprehensive that sounds, but it that's sort of feeding into the green finance plan is feeding into a broader kind of green plan for the country. So, you know, one of the things that we talked about when I met you was how you are determined to make Lithuania energy independent through renewables. And, you know, I was kind of interested in that because that obviously by through renewables, you're sort of achieving your kind of net zero goals. But you seem very ambitious in terms of the targets around that. Yeah, so for now, Lithuania imports like two thirds of its electricity consumption from other countries. And then uh, Russia started the brutal war in Ukraine. The consequence we all felt about it was the energy crisis. So our businesses and our people started to pay really high prices for their electricity just because we didn't have a local generation. So we had as a state a plan to move to renewables because of the green agenda, but it showed us that there is another aspect, which is energy security and independence that comes into play. And because of the situation, we need to speed it up. So initially we planned to produce 50% of our electricity from renewables by 2030, so like in six, seven years. And when the war broke, we changed that commitment to 100%. So we doubled the speed. And I will come back to me being from the Ministry of Finance. Uh, None of these uh, sort of ambitious goals can happen without money. So we have this uh, investment planning process for like now 10 year planning process. We had the money assigned till 2030 to reach the goal of 50. So we decided to borrow more from the European Commission paragraph instrument to fund that extra ambition. So we are going to build an offshore wind farm in in the Baltic Sea. And we also plan to invest into solar energy. And I think the specific part that uh, how we are going to do it. So we want a third of the electricity consume to be produced by they're called the producing consumers. So basically we have some instruments, but we will launch even more to fund uh, usually in the forms of loans or the combination of loans and subsidies when it comes to private individuals, especially those at risk of poverty to finance their um, renewable energy for their own consumption. So we have uh, this for businesses and we have this for private individuals. And also, I think, a very specific uh, instrument that we are actually going to launch in the beginning of next year. It's for people who are at the risk of energy poverty or generally at the risk of poverty. Usually, when we come talk about, for example, investing into renewables, these are probably not the people that first come into your mind. So what we are trying to do is to build energy communities that would be created by municipalities and uh, their members, part of their members would be people that are at the risk of poverty or that are, for example, receiving some sort of social benefits. So those who need some sort of help from the state. So they will become a kind of, they will own a share of the solar park and they can have free electricity from that solar park. And that solar park will 
sell part of the electricity to the market. And from those amounts, they would service the debt, repay for those people. Fantastic. It's maybe a bit complicated, but the, I think that the main aspect here is that when we do that transition, we understand that not all the population can have funds to invest up front or those who don't have capacity to even apply for public funds, even if they're there. We uh, encourage municipalities to help them out and form these energy communities and we subsidize part of the costs. It's really interesting because I guess, you know, you're having to think about a whole population how you kind of take them with you and it's sort of for me i it, it's fascinating to hear this because i think this is the approach that countries need to be taking is to come up with a plan and then really think about how do we kind of get citizens involved i mean talking about solar i think one of the things that i was observed was there's a lot of innovation happening in lithuania around solar technology so you can already see that because of the plan that's in place and because of the benign investment sort of regime that you have in terms of sort of some of these innovations that, you know, it's encouraging innovation. So you can almost see it becoming like this sort of virtuous circle in which, you know, you set the plan, businesses feel emboldened to do it, and it kind of gathers pace. So, you know, which I'm sure is all part of the plan, isn't it? Yeah, I would say, you know, some of the things, uh, yes, like parts of the plan, but there are also other things, like I, I would say, kind of spillover effects that happen just because there are already a lot of things like movement in the market. There are a lot of things uh, happening and, you know, state can't see all the possibilities. It's for the innovators, for the entrepreneurs to see, you know, how to help out in that process. So I think as long as we have clear plans and it's all public and we are open to innovate, there are businesses that of help us out to solve those huge challenges that the society are facing by the means that only they could uh, come up and uh, they could think of. So I would say there are some things that, of course, we encourage, but I would say there are numerous of things happening just because innovators and entrepreneurs are connecting the dots and uh, helping to smooth out the process. Fantastic. Well, listen, it's been an incredible discussion. We could go on and on, but I think our sort of time is up. So, Dom, I don't know, did you have any last questions to ask? Or, um... Like you say, there are lots of questions I'd like to ask. But actually, I just want to say, I think it's amazing the progress that you're making. It's far beyond what countries with 20 times the population are achieving. So I am really truly amazed with what you're doing with the, I would say, limited resources when, when we think about the population size. But I mean, really, the, also the other fascinating part is how well the government partnership with the enterprise or businesses is working, because we like to think it's working really well here. But I mean, we still haven't got basic stuff like digital identifiers, you know, for individuals here. Our fintech community may be growing fast, but we have very few unicorns compared to, to other countries. So. I mean, I think it's amazing the progress that you made. So uh, congratulations on that. Thanks. It's, it's very nice to hear. And I just wanted to say that so when we talk to investors, when we talk to enterprises from other countries, usually what impression they get is that Lithuanian society see us way still hungry. <laughs> it's not hungry for food, but for growing, improving, doing something. We still, we are kind of really satisfied with what we achieve and we always want to do it faster, better and more. So 
So it's very nice to hear those words from you because when we are here inside, we always think that there's still so much uh, that we can and should do. No, it's, a, it's an incredible story. So thank you so much for coming and sharing your story today. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dharm Demystify. We hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time as we take another topic and demystify it.